Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Good to be with you. Hope you're having a lovely week. I certainly have. It's good to see you once again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing out. And thanks to uh, the guys who have become Patreon subscribers. Uh, I really appreciate your help. I humbly accept uh, your generosity. You help the show grow. And I just want to thank you again for making that commitment. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you want to support the show, please hit subscribe on your preferred podcast player and feel free to share it out. Share out the links. We're on YouTube, iTunes and Podbean. And if you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so by following at boogie bumper. I've got a few things to go over today. Um, the first thing it's, it's going to be a story that comes out of Australia, but I think it has wide-ranging, you know, it's, it's applicable across the Western world where we are right now, whether you're in, you know, the US of A or whether you're in Western Europe. This is, I think, a repeating trend in today's time and age. So a report came out yesterday. There's an article here, which will be in the show notes, as will the other articles we refer to. Australian household debt flashes red in Morgan Stanley report. Quote, Australia's economy is most at risk in the developed world from household debt reduction because of weak house prices and potential tax changes that could curb property investments, according to Morgan Stanley. That's the conclusion from the bank's household deleveraging risk indicator, which looks at relative debt and structural weaknesses. The study of the world's 10 leading developed economies puts Sweden and Canada as second most at risk, followed by Norway. The report suggests that Australia will probably enter a benign deleveraging phase because of its strong global economy and public infrastructure spending. Still, the risk of a longer-than-usual recession remains elevated as regulators impose so-called macroprudential measures that will tighten lending standards and slow credit growth. Australia is not alone in marching over the debt cliff. You know, in America, they've they're getting close to twenty trillion dollars. Here in Australia, which is obviously a much smaller country with a much smaller economy. We're at about $650 billion in debt plus change. In Western Europe, the debt clocks are ticking, probably with the exception of Germany, who some argue uh, manipulates the EU to suit its own economy anyway. With the exception of them, Western Europe is going down much the same route. And the reason this is interesting is because it comes, it runs concurrently with a debate that's growing in Australia, more people are having this debate about large-scale immigration, mass immigration. And this is a topic, again, Western Europe and the Americas are also facing a discussion about immigration. Immigration that has been going basically foot to the floor for the last 30 years, at least, 30 or 40 years. The populations of these countries have exploded over the last few decades. 
because immigration has been so high. One of the reasons that immigration has been so high and one of the one of the problems associated with it is uh, the need for Western countries to spur continual perpetual economic growth. And one has to ask the question, well, if, if high immigration is so good for the economy, then why are all of these economies going into increasing amounts of debt? Now, this is an issue, I think, on the left and the right. And there's a reason that the establishments of the left and the right have been happy to allow mass immigration to continue without any kind of debate whatsoever. And they have different reasons for this. And I think the voters of both the left and the right are largely in agreement that they don't want this continued mass immigration to go on forever. It can't go on forever. There has to come a time. And again, for different reasons. There's nothing, there's nothing our politicians in the Western world want more than for us to put up the ideological barrier between ourselves and those on the other side and just point fingers at the politicians on the other side because then with their own base, they get a free ride. They get a free pass. They don't have to answer questions. They just blame the other team. But both sides here, I think, are culpable because both sides at one stage or another have been in power and have had the ability to do something about it, both the debt and the immigration. Now, I think in large part, mass immigration is used as a kind of wallpaper over the cracks for financial mismanagement in the Western world. There's a reason that the establishment on the right have supported mass immigration for a period of time, and that's because big business, big business needs consumers. Another factor might be the various lobbyists. One, one of the most powerful lobby groups here in Australia is the developers' lobby, the people that build houses, build apartment blocks. They need, they need population growth to spur growth in their industry, to keep the shovels turning, to keep the machines working, working the dirt. Without that, there comes an economic stagnation. People start losing jobs. Share prices go down. The housing market cools. Banks don't lend out as much money as they used to because less people are buying houses. With mass immigration and more people being funneled into cities, then housing prices are artificially inflated because of supply and demand, the economics of supply and demand, right? And you keep the developers earning millions of dollars every year. Land and sale packages, land and house packages. On the left, I think they've supported mass immigration for very different reasons, perhaps more ideological. Now, whether we like it or not, the principles of Western nations historically, you know, individual liberty, small government, small taxation, well, that is a very, very Eurocentric idea. If you look throughout human history and other parts of the world, the way that people in the West, you know, the way they view the role of government in their daily lives is very different to people from other parts of the world. So when countries like America, like Australia, started to shift their immigration policies away from European nations and more toward third world nations, perhaps Asian nations, South American nations, African nations, Middle East and subcontinental nations, well, 
a, a typical slur when you when you have a discussion like this is oh that's racist it was a racist policy but that's that's a very shallow way of looking at this discussion the fact of the matter is with the promotion of multiculturalism there also must be an understanding that many cultures around the world do not view the role of government in our daily lives historically the same way that people with a European or Eurocentric upbringing do. And instead of, say, secular liberal democracies where the individual is placed at the top of the queue, the top of the pecking order, over the collective, and where free market is placed ahead of more socialised policies, Obviously, people from different cultures who perhaps are more aligned or more attuned to statism or maybe theocratic rule in other parts of the world, well, they're going to bring their culture with them. And whether we like it or not, the large, the larger portion of immigrants to the Western world invariably vote for left-wing governments because I, one can assume that the left-wing governments are more willing to replicate the kind of conditions politically, that they are used to. That could be one argument. Other people argue things like more generous welfare and so on and so forth. But for whatever reason, new immigrants to the Western countries do, by and large, overwhelmingly tend to vote for the left. So the left wants more voters. And that could be one of the reasons why they support high immigration. But there is an opportunity here for people to wedge on the immigration debate, there's another article here from The Guardian, the known right-wing conspiracy website known as The Guardian. Australians growing more concerned over immigration, uh, Immigration Guardian essential poll. The latest survey indicates the current concern is broadly based. A majority of all voting groups, apart from the Greens, that's the far left, the Greens, believe that population growth is happening too fast and more than 60% of coalition and Labor voters, that's the centre-left, uh, the centre-right and the centre-left parties respectively, voters think there has been too much immigration over the past decade. Opposition to the current level of immigration was higher among people over 45 than people under 45, although majority opposition was recorded in both groups. So what's interesting here is as the next election looms in Australia sometime next year, as the midterms are only a week away, I imagine these numbers are very similar in America. It's been a while since I've checked the uh, statistics, but I do know that the majority of people in America do want some kind of immigration reform. And they are not in favour of abolishing ICE, like some prominent Democrats have floated in the last few weeks. So the, the problem here for both the establishment on the left and the right is, and the reason that they want to keep us so divided on this topic and just, you know, resorting to shallow accusations of either you want to destroy the country or you're a racist, you know, those, those kinds of silly hand grenades going back and forth over the trench. The reason that they want to keep this is because they understand that uh, opposition to their, their well-laid policy over the last three or four decades has broad support across the political spectrum. And what they don't want is a broad consensus among voters, left and right, rejecting the establishment policy. That's something that they can't allow to happen. So there's an opportunity for people who are perhaps more populist, or perhaps in the grain of bipartisan nationalism, to wedge voters on the left and the right for different reasons. 
Now, if I was a smart politician, I'm not saying I am, but if I was a smart politician on the conservative side of the ledger, I would be looking for opportunities to wedge the left on immigration that go beyond saying you're trying to destroy our country, which just gets the you're racist return returned right back to you. How about when we think of huge, sprawling population centres and mega metropolises of millions of people, what comes with that? It's pollution. Now, a lot of people on the left like to consider themselves some kinds of guardians of the environment. The unfortunate reality is if you allow populations to grow at exceedingly fast rates and where people funnel into high population centres in Australia, that would be Sydney and Melbourne. In America, that would be places like Los Angeles, you know, which has some of the most polluted air on planet Earth, whose politicians, by the way, welcome high immigration rates, then seem to want to address the pollution by raising taxes on cars perhaps ignoring, conveniently ignoring the fact that the more people you squeeze into a small space, the more pollution you're going to generate, the more electricity you're going to need. How about the more natural reserves and parklands that you're going to have to destroy to, to build the increasingly you know, squeezed in high-rise towers that you fit all these people into? So, no, there's nothing more ironic than seeing politicians on the left argue that they want what a they want more immigration record levels of immigration high levels of immigration from all parts of the world and then two lament the fact that the natural habitats of surrounding their cities are being destroyed to fit in more houses you know it's absolutely insane but if you if you're trying to apply logic to these people then you've got a problem but as we've as we've understood from this poll and other polls similar polls to it People on the left, for various reasons, a broad spectrum of voters, people on the left and the right are opposed to high immigration. And that's one way that you can sell the argument to people who have perhaps not considered it before. If you want to preserve the environment, then you have to limit the amount of population growth in a specific area. And I mean, if you're having the argument on terms of population growth rather than individual immigrants, then you're less likely to attract the dreaded racism tag that nobody really cares about anymore anyway. And I mean, if somebody is going to just throw names out there like xenophobe and racist, well, I would, I would recommend that you stop trying to convince that person of anything immediately because you're only going to be wasting your breath. You'll be, you'll be adding to the climate change by pumping, allowing them to pump more hot air into the atmosphere. So that's one way you could look at it. Another way, especially here, uh, politicians on the left here in Australia and in America and in Western Europe purport to represent the poorest parts of the community, the low-income workers, the people on welfare. Well, with mass immigration, they are making it more difficult for those people to find work. They are increasing the competition for those people to get a job. They are also increasing the, the burden on the welfare system which means there's less money to go around. They are increasing the prices on housing, which makes it harder for poor people to actually move into their first home in these large population centres. So they are, pitting, they are pitting the new arrivals that they hope will vote for them one day against the people that are already here voting for them now. So if your if you're lefty politician in the big city that you come from purports to represent the interests of the poor, the underprivileged and the lower class, 
ask them why they are prepared to add hundreds of thousands of people per year to the mix to put them in direct competition for benefits, for wages, and for housing. Why are they representing the interests of someone overseas more than they are representing the interests of the poor people right in their own backyard? The immigration debate isn't going anywhere, and the longer that politicians both on the left and right continue to ignore it, the more steam it's going to, it's going to have, the more steam it's going to collect. And as more and more people stray away from the major parties and begin voting for third-party options here in Australia, you know, over the last 10 years, th- voting for third-party options has gone from 10% to 25%. And a lot of those votes are going further right to parties that have a stricter stance on immigration. But of course, if the major parties address the immigration debate, on the left, they'll have to address where they're going to get more voters from in 20 or 30 years. And on the right, they're going to address how they're going to have to break the news to the population that the economy ain't so good as she used to be. And there's going to be hard times ahead in order to deal with it. Because as the immigration rate climbs, the inherent problems in the economy get overlooked thanks to our addiction to perpetual growth at all costs. Something worth considering, especially in the lead up to the midterms where the immigration debate is hotting up and in regards to our own population here with uh, an election sometime in 2019. I want to move on. Hillary Clinton still on the campaign trail, still laughing, still joking. The Clinton comedy tour (laughs) is continuing. And it's good to see people paying good money. Uh, This was Hillary Clinton a couple of days ago. Remember the champion of the minority classes? Champion of the minority people in America? The woman who wanted to stand against Donald Trump, the evil racist who hates black people? Let's check this out. Or whatever. You know, that is, that's childish. What do you think of Cory Booker's, and you didn't comment on him, and you feel free. Oh, I I adore him. What do you think about him saying kicked him in the shins, essentially? Start to get to that kind of political. Well, that was Eric Holder. Yeah, Eric Holder. Oh, Eric Holder. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I know they all look alike. No, they don't. They do. <laughs> oh, well done. Now, people have pointed out, you know, this is a joke. I'm not. I'm not easily offended by jokes, so this isn't really about me. But people have said, well, look, this is obviously a racist joke from Hillary Clinton, and she gets a free pass. People have pointed out, well, you don't understand. She's she's making the joke to the conservative that was interviewing her pointing out the fact that she didn't know the difference between Cory Booker and Eric Holder. And, you know, oh, they all look alike to you. But see, the issue here isn't the, you know, the relative hilarity quotient of the joke itself. It's the fact that everybody knows, yes, this is whataboutism, everybody knows that a joke in a similar fashion from someone on the other side of the ideological divide, they would be chased into the cornfield with pitchforks. They would have their voice box removed with fury, never to speak again in public. At this particular event, filled with Hillary Clinton supporters, a round of applause. Oh, and they're laughing. It's hilarious. A, a great time was had by all. Not one of the main media outlets, the corporate media outlets, has even bothered to report on it. Nah, just let it go. Just let it go. We don't need to see this. So if you know if 
when when somebody makes a joke, like a you know an edgy joke or what something that could be described as a racist joke, and that person is perhaps a conservative, or just not just not a progressive. Anybody who's not a progressive makes a joke like this, and you see people on the right saying, "Well, you know." They shouldn't be making jokes like that and they should be fired and they should be deplatformed and blah, 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 blah. Just remember, you're not going to get the same treatment on the other side. There, there is no objective truth anymore that people agree on. Everything is a game of perception and deception. You know, I put a tweet out the other day. Once you come to the realisation that the people on the opposite side of the aisle are merely avatars who assume different personas at different times for political expediency, who have a, you know, a limitless number of people value systems which they will enact and then drop whenever it's politically convenient to do so. Once you understand that's what you're dealing with, you'll never be surprised in politics anymore. Nothing the other side can ever do will ever put you on the back foot ever again. When you understand the nature of how they approach the game, the system, you know, expecting the unexpected is the expected thing to do, more or less. But it just got me thinking. Hillary Clinton has never stopped her. She she is obsessed with the 2016 election. You'll hear people accuse conservatives of being obsessed with Hillary Clinton. And to them, I've, I've said this before, to them I say, well, if if we're not supposed to talk about Hillary Clinton, then why is she keeping herself in the news? You know, so don't you, people can accuse me, oh, stop talking about Hillary. You can do that all you like. But she's the one that's constantly making headlines. She's the one that's going on the speaking tours. She's the one giving quotes about the current political mirth. She, it's her. She's making news for herself. She's keeping, her in, she's keeping herself in the news. So if you don't like people talking about it, if you don't like people talking about Hillary Clinton and talking about these kinds of missteps then I would suggest maybe writing her an email and telling her to keep quiet, like I'm sure a lot of Democrats do. But she's never stopped being in the news. She's completely obsessed with her 2016 electoral defeat. And remember, this this comment here, which doesn't look good, it's pretty terrible, really. Again, I'm not personally offended by it, but I, I'm not easily offended. But I imagine for a lot of people, it would be offensive. So... You know, this is on the back of just a few weeks ago calling for an end to civility. You can no longer be civil with the Republicans in the lead up to an election. An election which has been labelled as overcharged and hypercharged and supercharged with divisive rhetoric that is leading to acts of violence. Ah, oh, we don't need civility. Don't be civil with the people on the other side. We need to crush them, right? So it got me thinking, and you know, this this may be tinfoil hat territory, but hear me out. What say? What are the chances that Hillary Clinton is trying to deliberately derail the Democrats' chances in this midterm elections by doing these kinds of things, by staying in the spotlight, by making the perception of the Democrats less appealing for a whole host of reasons, in order for her to present herself as the saviour? come 2020 and run for the big job, run for the big chair once again. Is there anybody out there listening that's brave enough to say that Hillary Clinton absolutely does not want to try and run again for president? Coughing and spluttering her way around the campaign trail? 
being dragged into the black van of death to go from rally to rally, maybe once a week? Does anybody out there seriously think that she doesn't have these, she doesn't harbour these dreams, these aspirations to run for president again? You'd be a very brave person if you put money on it, in my opinion. Very brave. Whether she does run again or not, that's yet to be seen. But I think to suggest that she doesn't want to or doesn't think that she can, I think that's a bridge too far. So why would Hillary Clinton, if we're operating in our little thought bubble here, why would Hillary Clinton seek to derail the chances of the Democrat Party in the upcoming midterms? Well, the answer's obvious. If the Democrat Party has a successful midterm campaign, then there's no need for Hillary Clinton to run again. If they are successful without Hillary Clinton on board, why would they vote for her in the nomination phase? Now, it might, it might be a little far-fetched. It might be a bit airy-fairy of a theory. But do we think Hillary Clinton doesn't have it in her? We know from the testimony of Donna Brazile and others that were involved in the presidential campaign in 2016, 2015 and 2016 that Hillary Clinton basically did a deal with the Democrats to control their finances under the condition that she was guaranteed the leadership. She was guaranteed the nomination. And she all but guaranteed them the White House. 96% sure, according to the Huffington Post, just the day before the vote. So does she have it in her again? Christopher Hitchens once said of Hillary Clinton that, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but something along the lines of, Hillary Clinton is a solipsistic crocodile who cries crocodile tears for the population and saves the real tears for herself. People around her who have worked with her, critics of hers within the Democrat Party, have often spoken about her narcissism, her dominating character, Perhaps she's someone who puts her own interests not only ahead of the party, but maybe ahead of the country as well. In order to fulfill that lifelong dream that she spoke about when she was just a teenager, that she's going to be president one day. Before it was ripped away from her from the horrible and racist Donald Trump, who, as far as we can best tell, doesn't think that all black people look alike. One more thing just to finish up here. A tweet by Ryan Saavedra. Fake news. CNN contributor claims caravan of illegal immigrants is imaginary. No pushback from the two CNN hosts. Let's check this one out. From your point of view, whether you think it's right, uh, do you believe that that is working for him? Well, I I assume with all politicians that you know, that what they're doing is happening for a reason. And they've done some internal polling or they have a sort of a sense of who their electorate is that they're trying to draw out. Um, and that's what it is. It's rational. I mean, it's ugly. It's untrue. Um, it's, I think it's harmful to the public debate. You know, once in a while, and Harry knows here and there, you, you find it, you find a house, it's almost like a unicorn. You'll find a House Republican who's actually running on the economy and on mm-hmm. the tax cuts that they passed. <laughs> We've been talking about this for a few weeks now on the various shows like Trust and Verify that I do with James R. from Your Voice America on the live stream, right? Uh, the Democrats want the Republicans to only talk about the economy and tax cut. This is this is why anybody who's observant of these cable news shows and the mainstream publications such as the New York Times, Washington Post, etc., that's why if you're observant of these things, you'll see constantly, you have seen over the last month, 
opinion pieces pining for the days when Republicans used to just talk about tax and the economy. Why aren't the Republicans running on the economy? Why aren't the Republicans running on taxation? See, when people say you're some kind of conspiracy theorist for saying that basically, you know, the overwhelming majority of the corporate media are all singing from the same hymn sheet, I, as someone who spends a lot of time observing the corporate media in order to pick up patterns like this so I can tell you about it, so we can best understand it, so so we can't have the wall pull, pulled over our eyes, I laugh because I, I've lost count of the amount of commentators that I've seen basically repeat the exact same sentence over and over and over again. They want the Republicans running on the economy and they want the Republicans running on taxation because they know the immigration debate is absolutely killing their candidates in red states. It's obvious. So with that in mind, wait till you hear the next comment. You know, which is supposed to be a good news story. You know, other than the last few weeks, the economy has actually been humming along. Questions about whether or not it's been financed in the right way and who's going to get the benefits of it. But they haven't been running on that. They've been running on an imaginary caravan, (laughs) false charges against a black candidate in Florida. The imaginary caravan. There it is. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have transformed. We have transcended. We have evolved from fake news to imaginary news it's not even it's it's a fantasy this caravan talk is just a right-wing conspiracy fantasy it's an imaginary caravan and to that i say hats up bravo bravo to the special effects people who are obviously working in the propaganda arm of the white house in order to construct this imaginary caravan for our amusement and for political gain in order to rip political power away from the people who understand the truth that the caravan isn't real. I mean, all of the footage we've seen of interviews and immigrants busting through barricades on the southern border of Mexico, for example. You know, reporters interviewing people. Remember the women and children? They're not there. So I guess that's the other thing. I guess the empathy debate really doesn't have any place anymore. I I guess you can't say have some empathy when it comes to the immigration caravan because the immigration caravan doesn't even exist. (laughs) We will be in very desperate times indeed if we are asked to have empathy and sympathy and open the doors for people who aren't there. That's That's going to be a very difficult one to sell. But the you know the, the the migrant caravan is imaginary. I was reading a story earlier today. I'll throw it in the show notes. There's a new migrant caravan, and the people are carrying guns and explosives. <laughs> I guess I guess we'll we'll soon find out how imaginary this caravan is if they come popping nine millimeter rounds off in the air, Yosemite Sam style, when they get to the border in Texas or Arizona. Won't that be a sight? I guess the spin from, you know, the salons and the slates of the world will be uh, you have to let these people in because they're fighting for their Second Amendment rights. <laughs> Remember, if you're dealing with avatars who have interchangeable personas and value systems on the other side, don't be don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you read editorials in the fringe left-wing blogs and the left-wing online magazines that say, all of a sudden, uh, Americans, you know, constitutionalists, conservatives or Republicans, all of a sudden they're anti-gun because the immigrants are holding guns. They should be, le- they should be welcoming them in. They're obviously gun aficionados just like you, you hypocrite. 
Don't be surprised if you see that in the next few days. But of course, you know, CNN wonders why uh, people like Donald Trump and others have the audacity to, to refer to them as fake news. You know, at least they're not being called imaginary news. At, at least we know CNN exists, which is more than what we can say for the contributors on CNN who suggest that large immigrations coming from South and Central America do not exist. Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you'd like to support the show, please hit subscribe on your podcast player. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Boogie Bumper. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Boogie Bumper. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.